Well, good morning and welcome everybody one more time to Encounter Church. I want to begin this morning with just a, a note of celebration and thank you and gratitude. Uh, a lot of you know if you've been tracking with us for a little bit now, uh, we ended the year in the last quarter, kind of from September to December, um, by a recognition of this outside grant that we received. So for every new recurring, we call those sustaining financial partners of Encounter, people who give, households who give uh, weekly or monthly, just recurring sustaining um, they will be matched dollar for dollar up to an amount and I just want to say like this this awesome note of celebration and gratitude that September through like the first week of January we had over 25% increase in those of you households that said yes I want to be a sustaining financial partner of Encounter Church and it's just it's super cool for me as a pastor to highlight some of that um, outside of the financial gifts uh, just the partnership that comes along with that to say I see God moving in the community, and I want to be a part of that. Just, just super cool. It's also kind of fun to talk about money and not like a, uh, hey, we got to keep the lights on, so like, what are we going to do about that? It's just a note of gratitude, which is super exciting, and, and thank you. Uh, we're in a series right now called Unfollow. We kicked it off last week, and we said this is what we're doing. It's kind of this addition by subtraction game, where instead of adding things to our lives this year, we're beginning the year by removing some things. And so last week, we heard about this unfollowing or unsubscribing from the, the audio clutter, the noise in our lives. Remember, a picture of a kayak, wintertime, quiet. Quiet enough to hear the voice of God speak to your heart, speak to your soul. That was the encouragement from last week. Two minutes of quiet a day makes a tremendous difference. Uh, today, today we're talking about subs- unsubscribing or unfollowing from uh, hurry, the frantic pace of life. And this is, this is going to preach to us. This is preaching to me as well. So we'll kind of get us on the same page about hurry and, and some of us who are running around Anybody who needs to hear this one is somebody who, uh, who's somebody who does the grocery store checkout aisle and like bounces from like aisle to aisle because like, well, that cashier is faster and the line is longer. So, you know, maybe I'll go over here. This message is for the person who darts and weaves in and out of traffic, like trying to get ahead one car length at a time. I'm preaching to someone today. It's for anybody who's, who's tried to multitask so many things that you've like forgotten what you've been trying to multi, uh, multitask on. Today is, today's, I'm going to be vulnerable. Today I'm preaching to myself. As I'm preparing a message about hurry, I'm driving in today, and I pull behind the literal slowest driver in the universe, who happens also to be my neighbor, and I'm just like driving behind going, oh my goodness, you have got to be kidding me, like like pick it up a little bit, and Nobody, there's no cars on Sunday morning. So there's a stoplight outside of my neighborhood that I always blow the red light on because there's no cars and they stop and they're frozen. And I had minutes just to like let God's lesson sink deep into my soul about slowing down from hurry. I'm in a weird spiritual place this morning. I just want to get that out in the open as we, as we explore this theme here together. Uh, we're, we're talking about we're talking about hurry. We're talking about, the, we're talking about the implications of living a hurried life. And some of this, you, you guys know already, and we'll just add on to that a little bit. Corey Tenboom, who was uh, made famous as a Dutch woman, 
who saved countless lives in World War II from the, from the Nazi Germans. And, uh, and she was an author and a speaker and just a wise, deep thinker. And she wrote about, about being busy and about hurry. And she said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy because the end result is the same. A hurried life like sin cuts us off from our connection with God, cuts us off from our connection with each other, cuts us off even from the introspective connection that we have with ourselves. Uh, famous psychologist Carl Jung, uh, who kind of like laid the groundwork for the Myers-Briggs, like personality stuff, you know, introversion, extroversion, that, that sort of thing. Um, this is a fun game. Extroverts, right? Where are you? Put your hands up. Fulton Heights, let's see them too. Awesome. Introverts, don't raise your hands because you'll hate me. You won't want to raise your hands, so I won't ask you to. Uh, Carl Jung once said about, uh, about being busy, about hurry, is the, the hurry isn't of the devil. Hurry is the devil. That's how much, as a psychologist, he wanted to drive this thing home. A lot of our content from this morning is going to come uh, from this book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, It's a line, by the way, from John Orberg. (laughs) He's going, how should I live my life? What advice do you have for me in this new season? And Orberg said, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I just love that phrase. I wanted to to pass it along uh, to those of you, uh, my friends as well. Uh, John Mark Comer is a pastor out in the Portland area, the uh, Pacific Northwest. And he said, when I think about the greatest danger facing Christians in America today, the greatest danger facing Christians in America today in the Pacific Northwest, he would say, I don't, need, I don't think that it's like this, uh, this kind of liberal theology or the redefinition of marriage and human sexuality. I wouldn't go there. He goes, neither would I say that the most dangerous thing facing American Christianity today is like the rise of the prosperity gospel. He goes, I don't think that the most dangerous thing facing Christians in America today is, the, is even the welding, this unholy marriage of, of, of politics and faith. Seeing uh, faith through the lens of your politics instead of seeing politics through the lens of faith. I don't even think it's that. He goes, the most dangerous thing facing Christians living in America today is hurry. Because what Gory Tenboom learned earlier and passed along decades ago is that it cuts us off from God, each other, and even ourselves. You guys have been to weddings, a bunch of different weddings. I know because I've seen you at a lot of them. And one of the things that's often the case at uh, most weddings is a reading of some scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter of the Bible. You guys know what I'm talking about. This is the, this is the danger of hurry and how And how incompatible hurry is with the Christian life. Because the Christian life is about love. Love God, love others. Amen? Hurry is incompatible with love. Because Paul, when he's talking about love, and we're going to say it together in just a minute, the first thing that he, word that he uses to describe love, Fulton Heights, I need to hear you too, is Paul says, number one, love is patient. Yes. That's like the first thing. We didn't even have to go on to the rest of the list because we already messed it up at the first one. Because we're like running around hurried. It cuts us off from God. It cuts us off from each other. We can't live out the Christian life as a, as a hurried people. Think about it. Think about it like this. Um, when you're hurried, and you could just like take just a second and, and to like 
observe your life and the relationships that you have. I'll be vulnerable. I already was, and I'll just kind of continue that theme. When I think about how I'm a hurried person, and I'm getting my kids ready for school, and I'm running just five minutes late, what does that do to my parenting? What does that do to me as a Jesus follower? What does it do to me as a dad? As a husband? Five minutes late. Uh, snow pants? Check. Winter coat? Check. Boots? Oh, I forgot those at school. Ugh. Homework? Good news and bad news, Dad. Uh, I have my homework. i just now remembering, though, that I didn't do it yet. Come on. When I am hurried, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking there's some others watching this too, when we are hurried, isn't it true that we are just seething with tension, anger, exuding anxiety, and this critical spirit all around us? Hurry and love are incompatible, yet we see it all over the place. Harvard Business Review a while ago did a, uh, did a study where they just looked at the, how advertising has shifted uh, over the years, over the decades. It was like 20 or 30 years. Advertising, uh, let's say uh, a luxury good, a fancy watch, high-end designer watch. It used to be marketed by somebody who's like sitting out at the south of France, some villa on a, on a vineyard, sipping wine, like stat, and there's the watch. Status equals leisure time. A Harvard Business Review noticed that fast forward a ways, and suddenly um, status, the same brand, the same watch, is now being marketed by like a high-end tech business leader leading a team, leading a boardroom in the middle of the night in a high-rise downtown downtown uh, office building. Like, like, status is now communicated. Instead of leisure time, status is communicated by being busy. I mean, you get that. Somebody asks, like, oh, how are you doing? Oh, you're busy. Nobody wants to say, I don't know, I have a job where I only work a half an hour a week. That's it. <laughs> Nobody wants to say, oh, I'm just so, so busy. Right? Because that's now where status is. I read this thing. Um, sent to me, and it was like, uh, like, isn't this guy awesome? Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. Pretty successful guy, probably, I'm thinking so. Uh, Tim Cook was talking about his, day, his daily routine, which includes getting up at 3.45 a.m. to respond to about 800 emails before he starts his typical, like, work day. Now, that kind of garbage is being sold to us as admirable. Isn't that great? And as a pastor, like, I'm looking at this thing and going, okay, super successful. What in your life is not getting the attention that it deserves because you're giving everything to this other deal? Hurry and love are incompatible with one another, and we need to do something about it. We don't need more time. A lot of devices have given us more time. We've squandered it. I don't think we need like a productivity guru. Probably don't even need a bullet calendar. What we need, church, is a dramatic and radical lifestyle overhaul. Like an entire new operating system. And I can think of nowhere, no one better to give us an operating system 
for living our life than Jesus, the giver of life. So let's go to Matthew chapter 11 and study some words of Jesus in the red letters for just a minute. And I want to offer an invitation for those of you, maybe you're note takers. This is going to be one of those messages where we're going to drill down on a few of these words. And uh, we have a saying that a dull pencil or typing pad uh, is better than a sharp mind at remembering the truths that God whispers to you. And I think God is going to whisper some truths to us this morning. Matthew uh, chapter 11, and we're going to start it off in verse 28. I'm going to read the whole thing and then back up, make some comments. Where Jesus says to the people then and to all of us listening today, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a great passage. An awesome three verses to commit to memory if you're the type. Some of you have like seen that passage before and it was like crocheted in your grandmother's restroom next to the sink while you're washing your hands. And it's like, oh, isn't that nice words? Think about it for just a moment in the context that Jesus spoke these words. He's talking about a yoke. I don't think we can fully understand and comprehend the image that Jesus is giving us that was familiar to them then without, without seeing the image uh, here today. So I brought one. This is a yoke. This is far smaller than the yoke that Jesus was talking about because I'm not strong enough to lift those kind of yokes. But what this was used for is a farming instrument. Turn it upside right here. Is uh, couple of oxen, a pair, would slide their heads through the holes on either side. And this is how they'd plow a field. And the oxen would stick their heads in here and it'd kind of couple up the oxen intentionally. A, a good, good farmer would know how to do this. He'd take the ox that's a little more mature, probably a little bit larger, a little bit bigger, and knows what he's doing. He's, he's plowed this field a few times in the past and hook him up with a junior apprentice oxen. An ox that, uh, that maybe was smaller and maybe hasn't ever plowed a field before. And the idea to connect them would be that the bigger ox that knows what he's doing is just going to kind of do his thing. And when the younger ox, the, the apprentice ox, starts to get a little bit distracted and starts wandering off into the field, well, that wouldn't really work all that well, would it? Because they're, they're yoked. See, they're, they're tied together. And I guess I want to make a couple of observations around this thing. First of all, First of all, I want to say that if you are, uh, if you're frustrated, if you're hurried, if you're living the kind of oozing tension and anxiety, frantic kind of life that I mentioned myself earlier, it's possible you're veering off into the woods getting distracted by something. And if, if life feels a bit painful at times, and frantic at times, it's possibly because you're veering away from the ox who knows what he's doing, in this case, Jesus. Stay close. Life is better. The other thing that I wanted to communicate by bringing this on stage is this thing doesn't look easy or light. And that's just kind of something that Jesus does. He takes a work instrument, something that looks kind of medieval and turns it into a picture and an image of easy and light. Uh, Let's dig into this one, if we could. Uh, We started off in verse 28 where Jesus says, come to me. Come come to me. 
It's this radically open invitation that Jesus offers. Sometimes in the scriptures, Jesus offers kind of a high bar invitation uh, where he says, if anybody, hey, you want to follow me? First, take up your cross and then come and follow me. Other times, rich young ruler, he says, hey, you want to follow me? Awesome. First, go and sell everything you have. Give that to the poor. Then come and follow me. There's this high bar here. He's talking to any one of us who's weary, who's exhausted, who's tired, who's on the edge of burnout. And he's saying, I want to offer this radically open and universal invitation. Jesus says, come to me, whoever you are, wherever you come from. The invitation is open. Two things. First of all, he says, come, not go. Not go to Moses. Not go to the law. Not go to a spiritual law to solve your life. He doesn't say go to some doctrinal truth, true as it may be. Jesus says, don't go to that. He says, come. Come to me. And that's the second part. It's not go, it's come, and then come to me. He is not your productivity guru or wizard. He's not inviting you to come to a condo Marie sparkle up your life, spark joy kind of session. It's not a set of theological truths. I'm preaching to someone. He says, come to me. It's a person that he's inviting you to get to know. First thing, uh, come to me, and then he continues it on. We read on. All you who are two things, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's a remarkable amount of spiritual assistance, I believe, in recognition, recognizing the distinction between those two words, weary and burdened. Weary is being tired from the work that you do. Being burdened is being tired and exhausted, burned out from the work that somebody else puts on you. I talked to somebody, uh, somebody earlier who's weary and burdened. I'll share a story for myself um, of when I've been, when I've been weary. I was uh, having a conversation with my spiritual director a little while ago and just kind of running through the, the routine and the, the rhythms that I have, the rhythms on some level that, that all, of us, all of us have. And I was describing like, you know, it's not really working for me. It's tiring. It's exhausting. Weekends are hard because like Saturdays, I try not to do much like uh, church work, but as a result, I'm just kind of like anxious and tense all weekend long. And I just, the uh, sh- shorter fuse. Uh, and then that kind of goes into a sleepless Saturday night, getting up, ridiculously early on Sunday because like I want to be a present and I want to be alert when I like have something insightful to say and not embarrass myself all over the place right so very spiritually motivated there and uh you know it's just it's tiring and I was kind of like looking at how long has it been this way oh man so my wife and I we started the church maybe 10 years ago and it was like a year and a half maybe two years before I took a weekend off that's not healthy and so my spiritual director was like a counselor but only Jesus stuff and he goes, uh, let me just ask, who asked you to do that? Like, was there somebody in your church who asked you of that rhythm? <laughs> did your board or your council, did they ask you to do that? No, no, nobody has ever asked me to do that. He goes, yeah, this distinction, um, you're not burdened. Nobody asked you to do this. You're weary because you chose to do it yourself and you're suffering the consequences as a result. 
Now, on the other hand, of being burdened, I just talked to a, a friend of mine who said, like, I leave every day from work at 5.30. Now, the day ends at 5 o'clock. And so my boss comes up to me and says, listen, uh, the image that you're giving to your coworkers is that you don't really care and that it's okay to skip out a little early and to have them fill in the rest. And he's going, I'm staying a half an hour late than the prescribed time. Friend, you're not weary. Now you're burdened. Somebody laid a yoke upon you. And what you're feeling is a result. I just think that it's helpful to separate those, those differences. Are you weary or are you burdened? In Jesus' day, and to an extent us today, he had a third category of this religious burden that was put on people. So they had uh, a Sabbath as an antidote to the hurried life, to, to pause, to take a break. That's where that, where that word means, to pause or break, to, to pull back. And in Jesus' day, they had 613 laws that they had specifically to follow in 36 different categories. One of those categories was about planting. And so they knew that they weren't allowed to plant or harvest on the Sabbath break time, sure. Uh, but what about like watering or, or irrigating? I mean, of course... That's too close to planting. You can't, you can't do that either. And he goes, okay, what about, what about if you threw a bucket of water out, is, knowing that it might very well water a crop that could be growing? And they said, I don't think so. And other people said, I think you can. And then it got to the level of, am I allowed to spit on the Sabbath because you might be unintentionally watering a plant? You can see how ridiculous these conversations are. And by the time Jesus comes around and goes, that's not how this is supposed, that's not how a relationship with me is supposed to work. I've got something else in mind entirely. Verse 29, he said, okay, here's the solution. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I think that the truth that Jesus knows that we're like getting around to is that one way or another, we're all wearing a yoke. Now maybe it's a yoke of your religious expectations, who you think that God is regardless of how God has revealed himself. You have this idea that God is, is angry and judgmental and just waiting to catch you doing something wrong. You're wearing a yoke of these expectations. Uh, you're wearing a yoke of the expectations maybe that your parents have had and you're tied to that your whole life. You can't shake it. You're wearing a yoke maybe of a boss, a teacher, or mentor. Come on, somebody's got that. You're wearing a yoke of the expectations of your friend group and what they expect out of you. You're wearing a yoke because you're tied to a girlfriend or a boyfriend who expects certain things about you and you just can't shake it. And Jesus is going, listen, listen, you're going to be tied to something. You're going to be tied to someone. I'm inviting you now to tie your life to the only one who's actually going to give it back to you. It's my yoke. And he describes it as easy and light. I'm gentle and I'm humble. Take up my yoke. And he continues on. He goes, and you will find rest for your souls. You kind of get the expectation, you get the sense that when he's talking about rest for your souls, it cuts a little deeper than like a nap and a vacation, a weekend away. Rest for your souls. I love how Jesus describes 
the life with him. In John 10, 10, my favorite verse, I came that they, that you might have life and have it to the fullest, the full life. This is a little, a little deep and a little Greek, but hang with me, and I think it's going to make a little bit more sense. But we're ta- we've got to talk about that full life. So we're going a little deep, a little Greek. I had to learn the language that the New Testament was written in in seminary and pastor's training school. So now I'm working out my counseling by making you learn it too. I actually really enjoyed it, but it doesn't matter. It makes for a good joke. Uh, the Greek word for salvation is called soteria. Uh, like sovereign, salvation over everything. Soteria is the Greek word for salvation. So when you read in the New Testament, uh, salvation has come to this house. So and so, and he was saved. Soteria is the Greek word. Fun fact, when the New Testament authors are writing about a healing that somebody has received, he was blind and then he could see. He, He couldn't walk and then he stood up. The word for healing that's used in that context is the same word, soteria. We read it as salvation and healing, like they're different. But for the New Testament writers, and I think Jesus himself, healing and salvation were almost like like one in the same, same concept. In English, uh, the word salvation, the root word salve, is uh, from the Latin word, is also um, like a like an ointment that you would put on a wound or on a burn to help somebody. Well, not get saved, but help somebody heal. Uh, Salvation and healing, these things are connected. When we connect them together, this is a deep part, we start to experience the full life that Jesus was inviting for. I'll give you another one of my favorite lines where Jesus says uh, in John, the I am statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think the the, the way I read this is that if you get the way, of Jesus, and you get the truth of Jesus, you start to experience the life and the life to the fullest of Jesus. Am I tracking here? Now the thing is, we've really, really narrowed in on the truth of Jesus. And that's important, don't get me wrong. The truth of Jesus in believing the right things, the truth of Jesus in the ethics, do this, don't do that, of what Jesus brought, that's important. But we have neglected the way of Jesus. The rhythms of Jesus. And we look at Jesus as a guy who could fall asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. And we go, I want that life. We drop in on Jesus. Whoever he's with, Roman soldier, Unclean woman, would-be disciple, and he carries the same unanxious presence with him everywhere he goes. And we look at him, rightfully so, and we go, I want that life. I want that for me. We want the life of Jesus, but we don't want the lifestyle of Jesus, the way of Jesus. This is our radical operating system overhaul. If you take nothing else from me today, I hope and pray that it is this. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. This is what Dallas Willard, a philosophy uh, professor who since passed from uh, University of Southern California called the secret yoke of Jesus. If you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle 
of Jesus. Let me give you an example about what this looks like and, and about what maybe this doesn't look like. Uh, about three or four years ago, I decided uh, I was going to start a new hobby, and I was going to start lifting weights uh, to get stronger. Because I've never done this before in my life. I had no idea how this thing was going to work. I don't know if I, like, missed that day in gym class or, or if I was just, like, playing playing frisbee golf instead, but like I never learned how to lift weights before, like like ever. And so I'm like, I had a friend of mine who was super cut and ripped. So I'm like, hey, dude, like you got it. You got to show me like how this thing works. And he goes, okay, so come on down to one of my gyms. And I knew like I'm in for it now. Come to my strength training gym and I will show you like how, <clears throat> how to get yoked. Come on, I, I had to, I had to do that. Thank you. Um, I'll show you, how to get, how, show you how to lift weights, how to get stronger. And so I show up, and I'm standing around, and I am by far the weakest dude in the room. It's just obvious. And, uh, and everybody's real nice and friendly and, and chatting and stuff. He's, like, showing me some moves. And there's this very heavy-looking bar that comes suspiciously close to my neck. And I'm like, goals for the day, don't die, okay? That's where the bar, the bar was. Anyway, pun intended. Um, we're standing around, and these guys, these guys are massive. with like single percent body fat on them, but they're still like bodybuilding, like huge. And they're like wearing their like bro tank stringer shirts, you know. They've got the hoodies on with the arm sleeves cut off, which makes sense to me because if like my arms were as big as my waist is now, like guys, I'm not wearing sleeves anymore. I just want to let you know what's God willing on the horizon. Find me faithful, right? Like if I could get there, sleeves are done. So I'm watching these guys and it's my turn. I'm going to take all the weights off. Let's just try to go for it. And guys, I made it through that first day. There's like no applause or anything. That's fine. I'm okay. I made it through that. Thank you. Right. We made it. Fulton Heights. Give it up. Yep. Um, I made it through that day. And so I talked to the guy afterwards. I was like, I am going to be sore tomorrow. Uh, question for you, though. So if I do this, I don't know, four or five days a week, can, am I going to look like that? And he laughed at me. <laughs> he just started cracking up. He's like, No no, you're not going to look like that. I'm like, what if it goes on for like three years, five years? He goes, no, there's no chance you're going to look like that by just, by just doing this four or five times a week. And he starts to unpack the rest of the deal, right? He goes, this, what you did in the gym, like, good job, you worked hard. That's like 10% of it. The rest of it is your whole life, and I'd say lifestyle. I'm talking about green smoothies, counting your macros, grams of protein, right? He's like got all these apps to track like what comes into his body. And he's making sure, he's like, if you're not sure, you got to scan the barcode and it'll give like a food grade on the, on, the, on the front of it so you know whether you can eat that or not. I'm like, holy cow, this is a lot of work. And as you could have probably guessed by now, what you realize is I looked at these dudes, I looked at their life and going, I want that. And then I found out about the lifestyle and I'm going, I do not want that anymore, I wanted the life, I couldn't handle the lifestyle that came along with that. We do that with Jesus all the time. I want that kind of peace that passes understanding. I want to be able to fall asleep in a storm, in a relational storm of life. Because I have so much confidence in God. Like, I want to bring that unanxious presence everywhere that I go. I want the life. And Jesus goes, Jesus goes, this is what it looks like. 
daily, dying to yourself, raising to new life in him. This is, this is what it looks like. You got a hope, you got a dream, set that aside. Raise to new life in Jesus. What does God want from you each and every new day? You got to set aside your worries and your fears about your kid falling behind in sports or in school. You got to stop chasing after all this stuff. If you want the life that I have, you got to embrace the lifestyle and be content with what I gave you right here in front of you instead of trying to chase something else all the time. You want the life. You don't want the lifestyle. I'm going, Jesus. I don't know if I can do that. You know what I think he says? I think he says, I know. I know. But that's the kind of business that our Lord is in. He's the kind of God that takes something like this, that looks like some sort of medieval torture device, and turns an instrument of work into a symbol of rest. Way more pointed than that. This is, the, what kind of, this is what kind of Lord we serve and what we worship. The kind of Lord who takes an actual torture device, the cross that he was nailed to between two thieves and takes that actual torture device and turns it into the world's greatest symbol of love, of hope, of joy that we have ever seen. That's what he does. We look at it and go, God, I can't do that. He goes, I know. I already did it. You want rest? Stay close to me. I got you. Put your head in through here. Guide along next to me. Let's work this field together. He gave us a, a tool that I mentioned earlier. suggestion. This is Dirk talking. This isn't God told me to tell you. This isn't somewhere in the back of the Bible somewhere. But these are just four ideas of, of Sabbath of rest. Uh, last week had two minutes of silence and a note changes your life. This week, four, four rests, four Sabbaths to change your life, to adopt, not just the life, life but the lifestyle of Jesus. The first one is a mealtime Sabbath. A mealtime Sabbath is setting time apart each day to be with the people in your life. Maybe that's your family, life stage. Maybe that's, that's a close friend. But, but time to listen, to learn, to care, to laugh, to cry with the people around you. If you can't do it every evening, go for four. Go for most of the evening out of seven. Some of these are going to hit you in different kinds. You can go, I do that already. Great. Find another one on the list. The next one is electronic Sabbath. Time to put your stuff away. Lock it in a cabinet. Put it in a cupboard. Uh, go for a, a long walk in a woods somewhere. Play a board game. Mealtime Sabbath, electronic Sabbath, daily Sabbath, the gift of one day out of seven. It's weird. It always has, for thousands of years, taking a day of the people of God has been strange. Historians from a thousand years ago from several thousand years ago, wrote about the Jewish people and going, they do this one weird thing, they don't work. Church, what we have often done 
is we've taken a life that looks exactly like everybody else's life, and we've tried to add some Christian components on it. Jesus is going, no, 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 it's an entirely different operating system. When we talk about a daily Sabbath, typically what that means for most of us is like, great, I take my work work, and I exchange it for a homework. And I just do all the home stuff, and I do all my home chores. And I think God is like, no, 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 you guys, you still don't get it. I gave you six days. Take a day to do nothing, to not be productive at all, because you need to know you are more than the work that you do. You are more than the things that you produce. Mealtime Sabbath, electronic Sabbath, daily Sabbath, ministry Sabbath. Ministry Sabbath is slowing down so that you can find some time to do some good, some Christian good in the world. Sometimes we're hurrying around so frantic that we forget about like serving other people and about how that's an important part of the Christian of the Christian walk. And we're too busy to serve other people, and we have lost the life and the lifestyle that Jesus came to invite us into. Sabbath builds. wrap it up with those words from verse 30 where Jesus says my yoke is easy my burden is light if I can invite you to stand up as I read the devotion where you are at home with open eyes let's all stand up together as one community scattered across the region I want to read you my favorite devotional. It's Reflections for Ragamuffins. Maybe you've heard of it. It's such a beautiful picture that we have in front of us this week. The author begins, remember Atlas? He was a guy with a whole world on his back. Remember Atlas who carries the whole world? We have Christian Atlases who mistakenly carry the burden of trying to deserve God's love. Even the mere watching of this lifestyle is it's depressing. I'd like to say to Atlas, put that globe down and dance on it. That's why God made it. And to these weary Christian Atlases, lay down your load and build your life on God's love. We don't have to earn this love. Neither do we have to support it. It's a free gift that Jesus calls out. Come to me, all you atlases, who are weary and find life burdensome. I will empower you. Oh God, that's the promise that you've made. You will refresh us. And this in turn is our response. Take you up on that promise. A lot of us, Lord, have reluctance about pausing about resting about sabbathing in in any way we're just not sure we're worried about falling behind we're worrying about not worried about not doing enough or being enough and so we try to fill that in we try to carry the weight of the whole world on our back god help us to put it down help us not to carry the world dance on it and enjoy it because the weight of the world is yours to hold and yours alone God give us not just the life but the courage help us
Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.